Hey everybody, this is Bevan. You're listening to Bevan, a femme over 40 and her friends podcast. I'm your host, Bevan. I've said my name three times. It's time to start the show. Today, I'm so excited to introduce you to Sabine Maxine, who I met when I was living in LA. We worked together briefly and uh, and then just a friendship was formed. Uh, Sabine's amazing. So many really cool projects going on. Um, a Tribe Called Queer, which is a podcast and an Instagram community and a merch line. Um, uh, works with uh, her wife on Project Q, which is a project for LGBTQ homeless youth. Um, also uh, does Paddywhack Vintage, and it's just basically a very cool, grounded, wise woman. I'm excited to introduce you to her. Um, but first, I want to talk to you about the best way to support this podcast, which is through my Patreon. Patreon is a website that enables creators like me to have a membership support site for folks like you to support the work we do. Uh, It directly supports the creation of my podcast. In addition, I offer some pretty cool stuff behind that paywall. Um, My one-of-a-kind aerobics class, Fat Kid Dance Party, which is just like an aerobics class, but really it's more of an experience. It's a lot of mindset stuff about how to live your best life, how to feel comfortable, how to reduce your anxiety, how to manifest your vision, how to just like be in that like most glowed up positive version of yourself that knows you can heal, that wants to move your body. Um, And it's all disguised as dance aerobics. I have had, I just went through all my testimonials uh, for Facky Dance Party, and it's just really incredible the different uh, experiences people have had with it. I mean, some folks never danced before and have shown up to my class, and that was like the first time they danced in public, um, and then were dancing later in public, having done it in my class. I have some uh, some Facky Dance Party regular alumni who are out there doing CrossFit and like Ironman stuff, like things where they're really challenging their bodies in new ways, and Facky Dance Party kind of gave them the the feeling of confidence they needed to go out and really try cool, harder stuff. Um, Also, people who just, like, come into their own style because of being a regular. So I just want to challenge you, if that's something that intrigues you, that is a growth area for you maybe to do a movement practice, sign up, uh, become a regular. It's 25 bucks a month. You get a fresh class every week. There's always four classes available, a 10-minute, a 20-minute, a 45-minute, and a full, like, 50- to 60-minute hour. Um, and if you did, I just think that if you did Facky Dance Party once a week for 12 weeks, something would open up for you. And just like a healing or a connection or a new level to yourself, that's that's an idea I have. That is not a promise I make, but there is no guarantee in any of this. But it's just like I love to see people thrive who are connecting to the movement that I provide. Um, I also, uh, I teach at um in seattle i teach around i'm planning a tour for the summer i'm really excited about that so you know be on the lookout for faculty dance party but head over to patreon.com slash fkdp um, and also you can support it like the five dollar level which totally helps uh, every dollar counts really to making this work sustainable uh, but also i have a special podcast of mini episodes little stories about my life things that i've like learned through and healed through i do meditations reiki healings um, and sometimes like today and I'm, I'm uploading a bootleg meditation i got off of youtube that's no longer available on youtube that i just want to be available to uh, my supporters over there so you can find all of that at patreon.com slash FKDP, stands for Facky Dance Party, and a, a hearty welcome to Sappho82. Welcome and thank you for your support of my Patreon. And now, on with the show. Sabine, welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thank oh, you for I'm so excited to, to have you. I'm so excited to be here. I love you, Bevan. Yeah, I love you too, Sabine. Um, <laughs> just for a little background of how we know each other, um, I, Sabine is a person I was lucky to meet when I lived in Los Angeles. And mm-hmm. um, is just someone I've always been wildly impressed by. Just like a Virgo boss babe, getting things done, community organizer who makes events and gatherings happen for the love of other people, for the love of specifically, you know, queer people, black people, people of color, like really just creating home for them in, in space and in events. Um, and I've just mm-hmm. always loved connecting with you. Like you're just a person who's 
I think like, I just feel like your, your realness, like who you are is like right here. And like, I always feel a strong connection with you. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true for everybody with Sabine, but it's certainly always been <laughs> something I'm grateful I for. think it might be. <laughs> <laughs> Whether they like it or not. <laughs> I mean, and you know what? That's kind of great. Like uh, some of the most effective, um, you know, like when I study marketing and stuff like that, it, like the most effective marketing is the stuff that really connects to some people and tells other people, this is not for you. And like, it's like, mm-hmm. because if you're just trying to please everybody, you're pleasing nobody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and the best thing you can do is to just be true to yourself and trust the people you're meant to connect with. Yeah. yeah. I definitely try to live my life in a way that is very authentic and like feels very real to me. And, um, you know, sometimes people like that. Some people, sometimes people like that. Sometimes people don't. Um, and I think where it becomes a problem is when I'm like brutally honest, (laughs) when I don't need to be, or maybe, you know, I'm practicing trying to have tact and, and deliver things in a gentle way because not everybody can handle like, you know, the truth and, and being a truth teller comes with, you know, a lot. So uh, it's been a journey. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, same. <laughs> like, I'm also working on that stuff, like how to, how to communicate more effectively while also still being honest and learning mm-hmm. how, to, how to be fully embodied with the love that I truly feel and like have that honesty be delivered with that love and, you know, have people receive it in that way and studying all of that stuff it's you know it's a it's mm-hmm. a it's a journey <laughs> mm-hmm. Sabine will you tell us about um what your life was like growing up and like where you were how you were like what life was like uh when I was a little nugget <laughs> um let's see so I grew up very poor um, I was a welfare baby and I'm not ashamed of that anymore. Uh, I used to be very ashamed and very embarrassed to like use food stamps at the store. That's when they were paper. I still remember the smell. Okay. Um, and you know, my mom was a Latinx and indigenous woman who, um, had all mixed race children, except one. She had seven children. One of them was uh, full, you know, Latinx, but everyone else was mixed with black. And so, and also she was older. She, well, at the time she had me in her thirties. So like 33, 34. And so, you know, she looked a lot older by the time I was like in elementary school uh, because she was pretty unhealthy. Um, and people would often think that my mom was my grandma or like my nanny. And so we had a really interesting time growing up. Um, There was a lot of racism, uh, especially from our own like blood relatives. Um, You know, a lot of anti-blackness. I mean, even from my own grandma, (laughs) she was pretty mean. Uh, And she, you know, would say really terrible things all the time. And so that's just how we grew up. And, and, you know, I grew up in a single parent household watching my mom do the best that she could, you know, she had a lot of kids <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, my older sisters, my older siblings, you know, also became like mothers to me as well. And so um, I just grew up around a lot of really strong, independent women who didn't have a choice, but to be strong and keep going. And, and that's what they taught me. And um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. We had a lot of struggle and I had a lot of trauma, you know, growing up and that stuff I'm still working through today. <laughs> Cause it, even once you, once you work through it and shit comes right back up sometimes and you're like, Oh, okay. Thought I figured that out, but I guess not. Um, <laughs> you know, but it's, it was, it was hard. It was hard. And, um, but what I will say is, is my mom was always, you know, my cheerleader, and I was the artsy fartsy <laughs> bougie before it was like a compliment kid, you know, of my siblings. I was different, you know, and so I gravitated towards like a different 
different interests, different communities, different everything. And so uh, she was always supportive of that and always came to my recitals and dance concerts and, and was just always there cheering me on. And that's what I, you know, even through all the hard shit, I just try and stick, hold on to that more and, and know that, you know, my mom passed away actually in uh, 2000 and, oh my God, I'm so bad at the dates, but it's been a long time. I'll just say it's been like 15 plus years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so that was also really hard too, because she was my only parent. And so losing her was, I was 21 at the time. Uh, I'm kind of all over the place. So feel free to like direct me towards something. <laughs> yeah, this is great. I feel like you're like telling your story very honestly. Like, will you, so if, how old are you now? 31? No, my gosh, I wish I'm 38. 38. Yeah. <laughs> I know I look very young. <laughs> I, I mean, you do, but like, I don't know. Like for some reason, like I always just pin, I don't know, whatever. It's fine. Okay. So you were 30. Yes. You lost your mom at 31. Um, that's, I, lost, I lost my mom at 21. At 21. Sorry. At 21. And that is such a, like a, a rough time in your life, like early adulthood to lose someone so grounding and formative. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so where, so you were growing up, not, where were you growing up? So we were in LA County. I'll just say that we moved around a lot. I mean, we were so poor that we often didn't actually have like our own place. Um, uh, my older siblings were already out of the house. So it was really me and my, my brother, who's a year older than me and my mom. Um, and we bounced around to relatives houses, uh, to motels. You know, we did a lot of motels when that big, big earthquake hit in, uh, I think it was like the Northridge earthquake in the nineties. We were living in a hotel, um, at the time. And so we bounced around a lot through LA County. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then you, uh, so how did you like, where were you in your life? Like when your mom passed away, were you like at college or did you not go to college? I was at community college. <laughs> so I was taking college and, uh, trying to, do the college thing uh but once she got diagnosed with cancer she had been sick like most of my childhood we were always in the emergency room um like that was just like a regular thing you know um and so by the time she got diagnosed with cancer it was like one of those really weird things where you're like okay I've prepared for this moment, but then when it happens, it's still so fucking jarring that you're just like, who am I and what is going on? You know? Um, yeah. And so when she passed away, I was in college and I thought, all right, I'm just, you know, I remember it was, it was January 3rd. She went into the hospital on New Year's Eve and she passed away on January 3rd. And then school, my school session started like two weeks later. And then like our school and keep doing my thing. Uh-uh, honey. <laughs> no, I was not. I was like, I was not prepared for the, the pain that I would feel for, I mourned for about seven years um, after she passed away. And it was really, really difficult. I'm glad you said that. Cause I think a lot of people get really caught up in this idea that like, grieving has to have a time cap, right? Like that you have to be over something so swiftly, especially like when we're young adults and we don't really have a lot of experience with grief. Like I lost my stepmom when I was 19 and I packed those feelings away. I didn't even deal with that until I was in my late twenties. And like, and that, and you know, it's so, I love that you, you just acknowledge that the mourning period took time and Mm -hmm. that, and and I think that's so validating for folks out there who are dealing with grieving and, mm-hmm. and grief and yeah. Everybody has their own way of dealing with it and, or not dealing with it. And then I think the longer you kind of push that stuff away, the longer it's going to take to heal. And I tried, I tried with drugs. I tried with sex. I tried with a lot of things and it didn't work. And what worked was therapy mm. and I stopped doing drugs because I was an addict for a really long time. Um, and I went to therapy and I was like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to like heal and to move past this and like start really living my life because I was stuck for a long time. What was the moment that like got you to be like, okay, I, 
I'm going to do therapy. I'm going to, I'm going to leave into this. Um, I guess I feel like when Katrina happened, uh, after that, I remember when Katrina happened, just getting so depressed, like watching the news and realizing like, I need to change my life. Uh, I don't know why that was such a huge thing, but, um, that's when I kind of stopped doing drugs and made the decision to just change my life. I don't really know if there was, I was just tired, I guess. That's, that's what it was just being tired. I was like, I'm tired of this shit. I'm tired of doing drugs. I'm tired of this man that I had been in a relationship for like seven years at that point. I was just tired of everything. And I just wanted something to be different. I wanted to be happy. Um, I always have felt like I have a light in me and that I have a purpose on this planet. And I knew that I had to live that. And I just was tired. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, yeah. At the same time, honestly, like, I think that's the best place to come from for change because it, once you just kind of accept and know what's going on for yourself and like, are at least self-aware enough to know, like, you know, you're not really serving yourself to, to get tired <laughs> is <laughs> super great motivation. Cause like, mm-hmm. it's like, well, I can be uncomfortable with change or I can be uncomfortable staying the same. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, therapy helps you kind of navigate the discomfort of change and self-realization and all of that. Stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, did, when did you come out as queer and how did that kind of relate to the timing of like moving through your mom's grief and, and getting clean and all of that kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. So I didn't actually like really like officially come out until... I was, I was a late bloomer in this only sense in my life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> everything else, I was fast, okay? Um, but it was, I was, I like 30, 31. And I don't remember like a huge like conversation about it. I don't, I didn't like, it wasn't like this big thing, you know? It was kind of like, because my family, okay, let me explain a little bit about my family. So my family, they're not communicators. That is something that I have learned through therapy and through my magnificent partner who has helped me to be able to learn how to communicate. Um, and so it wasn't like, like if I tried to say, hey, God, I have something to share. Like, no, that's not a thing. Like they would have been like, ew, why? here she goes with her feelings, you know? And so it was never like, I would never even try to do something like that. Now, you know, they've grown. I feel like, I feel like now it would be a better, I'd get a better response to that. But at the time I was like, okay, that's not the way to do it. So I would just slip things in conversations every now and then, you know, um, I had a niece actually that was like dating a girl. And I remember everybody was like, oh, and I remember saying like, well, I've gone on dates with girls, you know, I've liked girls, there's nothing wrong with it. And like kind of slipping things in like that. And then when I did start like seeing somebody, the first person that I was ever like seeing, I had a situationship actually. That's what it was. <laughs> That's great relationship were, status. <laughs> yes, because they were so closeted and it was so unhealthy and toxic. And that's a whole other story. But once I started fucking with them, uh, I, you know, started letting my family know and they were like, Hmm, okay. And then when I met Madden was when they were like, Oh, so this is a thing. (laughs) And then when we decided to get married, that was a whole other thing. And there were a lot of feelings and issues and, uh, you know, there was an argument no one came to our wedding and it took some time, but eventually we all made up and healed. And now they love Madden. They like Madden more than they like me. And that's, I'm fine with that sometimes. <laughs> sometimes I'm like, Hey, um, but there, yeah, but there was no big, you know, conversation. It just was like, Hey, I'm doing this thing. And they were like, okay, you know? Um, yeah. So I don't have like a, you know, a huge coming out story. <laughs> That's a huge coming out story. That's a lot to navigate. Like, you know, having, you know, queer relatives, which is a thing. That's also something that's part of my story too, is a lot of, I, you know, I don't, I don't need to opine about whether or not there's a gay gene, but like, if there is, it sure is in my family, mm-hmm. you know? And like mm-hmm. that influences like, cause I think 
the more people kind of get confronted with, okay, here are people in my life who I love, who are doing something that I don't fully understand or accept. Like eventually I feel like the, the critical mass gets them to get over it. And like, mm-hmm. and it's funny too, cause like I have relatives who will fully deny any of the homophobic things they've said, but like, like, you know what I mean? But it like wounds you in the moment. Like when you experience it or you feel that rejection and then like years later, they're going to deny the thing that, that you experience so strongly. It's so mm-hmm. funny. How people, mm-hmm. And it's a, it's also a thing I've learned recently is like, don't let something that someone's going to deny later affect you now. And like, yeah, it's, it's a, I mean, it's a power. Well, that's, a, that's really, that's a good little piece of wisdom right there. Happy to share <laughs> Um, I'm curious, like, how you navigated the feelings, like, while you're having this, like, wedding day where you're really celebrating the love and commitment and, like, leveling up with your partner and your family is, like, having drama and feelings. Like, how did you, like, stay connected and and focused on the joy of your day? It was hard. There's a lot of tears before. Um, It was really difficult. But I was adamant about Madden being my new family. And I was like, I don't care who doesn't accept this. And if they don't, then I don't need to speak to these people again. I don't care who they are. This is my person. And I love them in a healthy, positive, beautiful way. And I'm not letting anything get in the way of that because there's no way that this is wrong. And so I just... I just didn't care at the end of the day and nothing was going to ruin it, you know? And yeah, I was committed to this person. They're my, they were my family. Yeah. Yeah. Will you tell a little bit about your love story with Madden? Like how you met and how you knew? Oh my God. Uh, we met on OkCupid <laughs> in 2013. Um, we just celebrated our five-year wedding anniversary and seven years of being together. And yeah, so we met on OkCupid. We had our first date at Flore in Silver Lake. We had brunch and I was like, oh my God, they're so cute. (laughs) Um, Up until meeting them, like it was really hard to meet like black queer people on OkCupid for some reason. Um, And so I was like, you know, I was shocked by that but also like when I met them I was like okay this is good this is good you know um they were the third date in a row so I had like I had a date on Friday no a date on Saturday a date on Sunday and then a date on Monday and they were my Monday date and I was like okay I'm glad that they were last because it was like it was just great we had sparks in it and we laughed which was nice because the other two well one of them the first one was good the second one was very awkward but I'm usually like really uncomfortable and I wasn't uncomfortable. I felt relaxed and I, like I could be myself, which was nice. Um, and so it, there was some time between the second date because we both kind of like, I would say we both kind of flaked on each other. So we made plans to go to LACMA for our second date. And then the day came and they didn't text me. So I was like, why well, ain't texting them? Like, no. And then, a couple, and then like some time later, I was like, you know what, let me give this one more chance. And then we connected again. And it was just like, for that, we were just together, <laughs> basically. Because of the situationship that I was in before, um, it was so toxic and unhealthy. I didn't really learn, like, it was all new, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. You know, like being in a queer relationship and and they had been out for a very long time at that point, And I was just like, okay, like, how do I do this? And like, going to like queer events all of a sudden like that was new for me too and and being a part of the community like that was all new and and it was beautiful and um and it was hard (laughs) and it's still hard because you know even though we love each other and like we're committed to being in a partnership it's very difficult and you have to talk a lot and you have to you know continuously choose to do the work that it requires to be in a union and it's not easy. And we're also growing individually and like figuring out, figuring out our own stuff. And, and it's not easy, but you know, I don't know. I just, 
I, I, there was a moment where I knew they were the one. I'm not going to talk about that moment in particular because it is really personal. But there was a moment when we were dating for like a couple months where I knew like, okay, I'm going to be with this person. Um, I don't ever want to not be with this person. I need them in my life. They're so, yeah, and it was nice. And that's when I knew. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Oh, that's beautiful. I feel like a couple that grows together and grows the relationship, that's where you're like, there's no you complete me because like you're coming together a hundred, a hundred, like you're both Mm -hmm. like growing and then you're working on this entity together that like Mm -hmm. makes you more of yourself. It's like when a light hits a prism and it makes a rainbow, like I think Mm -hmm. that's what good love and good partnership can do, like make you a rainbow. Yeah, it's so gay. (laughs) (laughs) It might be the gayest thing I've said all week. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I love it. Um, Sabine, when you talk about your community organizing experience and some of the fun things that you've helped create and like, you know, all of that, because I feel like you like, you know, you may be a late bloomer queer, but you're, you've done a lot more for the community than most folks who've been gay their whole lives. (laughs) Thanks. That's so nice to hear. Um, Well, so I had actually, prior to coming out and all that stuff, I was actually doing a lot of like, uh, I wouldn't say event. Well, no, yeah, event organizing. I I, I collaborated and helped a lot of people who are already doing events and stuff um, in the underground hip hop world and like super indie hip hop events and stuff. And so I had done that for a really long time. So when I came out and uh, Madden started, you know, taking me to like a lot of like queer events and stuff like that, I was like, oh, this is so cool. But what I noticed was like, they were very white, very, very white. And I was like, you know, I think that there's a way to like mesh like my passions and my people. And so I actually, I think one of the first things I did, and I could be wrong, but I think that one of the first things I did was queer bazaar um and I really created that event because I wanted to to bring like queer people who have all sorts of different businesses and uh ventures and organizations and all kinds of stuff that they're doing I wanted to bring them together and uh you know have them make a little bit of money um and so it started really small and uh, grew and grew and grew and I took a little bit of a break from it but I it is coming back this year so look for it look look forward to that um, but that was like one of the first things I did uh, on my own I believe I think I could be wrong it's all right there's no there's no perfection here we're just you know I feel like there's a lot of organizers <laughs> out there who like get inspiration from other people who are like out doing what's on their heart you know like yeah yeah um yeah so the queer bazaar was like a big one and then obviously like the work that i've done with project q has been like a big part of my life uh so project q is a nonprofit that my wife actually founded and i came on board to help them around 2016 and uh yeah and so the project q fundraiser ball which i know we're going to talk about that a little bit more later when but, I, um, tell us what project q does like give us the like nugget okay. Sure. So Project Q, we are a 501c3 nonprofit and we give free gender affirming haircuts and self-empowering workshops to LGBTQIA plus youth who are experiencing homelessness. We have a salon and community center in Chinatown, uh, like south end of downtown LA and um we've been there for a little bit and uh yeah it's been this little thing that started off as like a mobile project and we've grown so much and it's wild to like watch and we're just like oh my god it's growing 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 and it's really wonderful and 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 seeing these kids just be empowered is so beautiful and fulfilling and um yeah well, t- let's lead right into the ball. Tell us about the Project Q ball, the yeah. queer Met Gala. If the you- queer Met Gala, honey. <laughs> so that started in t- that. This is this is the fourth year. Yeah. So whenever it started, 
It is a beautiful event, a formal, of fun, a formal fundraiser where folks can come dressed up with their looks, L-E-W-K-S, and um, have dinner and watch Madden give out some awards and watch a performance. And we raise money for Project Q. It's just a beautiful event. I feel like last year, which was the third year, we finally like the energy felt like, like, okay, this is it. This is like the energy I've been going for. And it, it was beautiful. And, and it would just, you know, it takes a while to like get things, get your momentum and stuff, you know, with these big kind of events. And so last year felt like perfection. And even though there were always, there's always hiccups, but it was really beautiful. Um, and so, yeah, it's really fun. That's awesome. We don't really, I feel like we don't really have a lot of events in our community where you can like really get dressed up and like um, also while also supporting a good cause. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. And it's on June 21st this year. Yes. Yeah. I feel like that's a great date too. Cause it's like, in pride month but not like on the big pride weekends Mm -hmm. and it gives you like because it's on a weekend day i think it gives people a chance to really like spend the day getting dressed up and getting ready to like present and show up yes yeah so the first two weren't in pride month um but last year because the venue was is really popular and it it got booked up um we had to do it in June. And I was like, Oh, actually this is fucking perfect. Um, because I didn't want it to be around pride. I want it to be separate. I wanted to make sure people will come. <laughs> I didn't want it to be a competition with any of the pride events. Cause that's not what it's about. Um, but the fact that it is in pride month is like the icing on the cake. Yeah, totally. And people anywhere can participate in supporting project Q by just donating from wherever they happen to be. Yes, they can donate on our website, which is www.projectq.me uh, at any time. Yeah. Awesome. I'll put that, I'll put the link to that and uh, multiple ways you can connect to Savine in the notes for the episode. But Savine, okay. I wondered if you could share with us a little bit about your entrepreneurial experience. Like, I feel like you have, so when you were talking about being a kid growing up and being different, like, I just like saw you in your fashion, you know what I mean? Like, and how that's bloomed as a, as an adult. And so I'm just like wondering about, because I know a lot of your entrepreneurial experiences around fashion and style. One of the other things that I do besides, you know, the Queer Bazaar and then the, the fundraiser ball, um, I have a business called Paddywhack Vintage. And um, I actually started that before I started Queer Bazaar. I also noticed a lot of the vintage space spaces and the vintage events are very white. <laughs> they're very white and they're very straight. And like, you know, that was another reason why I wanted to do the Queer Bazaar. But um, so Paddywhack Vintage is really just a fucking celebration of my love for, for vintage clothing and fashion and styling. And, um, you know, somebody asked last night in our board meeting, uh, it actually started with a question and the question was like, what brings you joy? And the first thing I thought about was like clothing, you know, um, the fact that like, besides hair, like clothes bring me so much joy. (laughs) Um, like, you know, just the fact that like, besides hair, your outfit is like what speaks to other people before you open your mouth. And I don't know what it is, but like when I dress in a way where I feel like myself and I'm like expressed through clothing, it just makes me walk through the world in a different way and in a more confident way and in a more fucking boss ass bitch way. And where I'm like, you can't tell me nothing. And I just, I don't know. I just love it. I love clothing. I love clothing so much. Yeah. Um, So is Patty like vintage live on Etsy still? Yeah. It's still on Etsy. Yeah. And, um, also you can also purchase through my website. Um, I'm really bad at uploading stuff, but I now have an actual space in the project Q collective. Uh, so I have like a small studio, uh, in back of the salon. Yeah. So I have an actual space, which is really nice where people can come and shop and try things on and play dress up. And that's like my favorite thing to do. I literally just want to like 
play Barbie. <laughs> That's if I could do that every day and get paid, I'd be a happy fucking person. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and what kind of, uh, so what size range do you carry in your business? Okay. So this is an issue and I am very well aware of it, but unfortunately like it's so hard for me to find plus size vintage clothes. And when I do, I usually want to keep it. So, <laughs> um, unfortunately it stuff is a little bit on the smaller scale, but I'm working on it and I'm actively trying to be more inclusive and size inclusive, but it, it is a challenge. And it is an, uh, the main reason why I wanted to start designing my own plus size line, which I did start and I have patterns for, but it's so expensive and I wasn't really prepared for that. Um, so it's kind of like on pause right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's super real. That's the, I mean, that's the entrepreneurial journey is like the, to, to create something without capital is like next to impossible unless you can like crowdsource mm -hmm. or community fund. And like that requires like, it's amazing how much work in the startup community literally centered around getting money to start your business. Like it's like really mm -hmm. in business school, they teach you how to like run a business, but they don't teach you how to fund a business, which is kind of the most important thing. Um, in capitalism, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and like clothing mm -hmm. is just so hard to produce if you don't have scale uh, in order to make it affordable. Mm -hmm. Like, and that's, that's so mm -hmm. real. So watching you endeavor on that, um, I was like, wow, this is a great thing. And I'm so impressed. And, and, but you know what, I'm still believing that like your designs are meant to come into the world and will. And so I look forward to, you know, when I get to, to wear a Sabine original house of Sabine. <laughs> yeah, I look forward to that day too. I think it's yeah. going to be wonderful. Even if it's like, I think one of the things I learned uh, was really just like, okay, even if I just dropped one collection, that would be a success in my eyes. You know, just the fact that I was able to like create something for my heart and soul and like share it with other people and see other people wearing my clothes. Like that would be so rewarding and, 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 I would be happy with that, you know, um, because it takes a lot of money, <laughs> but, um, you know, even just dropping one, I'd be happy with and, and, you know, yeah, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, entrepreneurship is about prioritizing and you do have many hustles. Uh, will yeah. you tell us about a tribe called queer and how you got that started and, uh, a little bit about your podcast? Yeah. So a tribe called queer. Uh, oh God. When did I start that? Jeez Louise. It's been a couple years now. Honestly, it started out. I just, okay. I started an Instagram and I was like, I just want to promote what other queer people are doing because there's so many people out there doing really cool shit. And I just want to promote that and highlight that. So that's how it started. And then it's, it's sort of just like shifted over time and has grown and like, you know, I have, I now have, a, I started a podcast. I'm in season two now. I have an online store where I produce, um, shirt, uh, um, you know, the merch is, is inspired by, you know, my intersectional identity, I guess. Uh, and so it's all very personal to me. Uh, and I have, a blog. I am not too good about the blogging, but I'm trying to be better. Uh, I, I, I start blogs all the time and then I don't finish them, <laughs> which is terrible. I have about seven in draft. Um, but you know, it's, it's just grown and like, I'm seeing now the downside of when you start to become really popular because the trolling is like a real fucking thing. And I hate it. I hate it so much, um, but that's a part of it. And, um, you know, if anything, if it keeps going, I'm just going to turn off the fucking comments, you know, because I had somebody that was in my, I don't know if you saw this, I posted about it on my story, but I am going to make an actual post about it on my Instagram. Uh, but there was this white man in my comments being disrespectful in my opinion to, uh, this black woman who was also commenting and, I was like, keep this up. I'm going to block you. Mm -hmm. Kept it up. So I blocked him and he got really upset about it and sent me a very lengthy email 
about why I should explain myself to mm-hmm. him and about and explain why I blocked him. And when I didn't, he left me a nasty review on my podcast. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, this is it. This is, you know, just gotta let it go. I gotta let it go. I mean, but also just a note to anybody out there who's on Apple Podcasts, if you can go leave a, the a Tribe Called Queer Podcast a positive review to help drown out <laughs> negativity. But I also think like, I saw this on your story and it sucked. And I was just like, you know, the nice thing about it is that it's clearly a troll comment. Like it's clearly someone who has a vendetta or like, you know, who go out and start your own podcast. You know what I mean? Like if you, if you have so much to say. <laughs> And like, and also I think like as a community leader and community organizer, a lot of people feel super entitled to your time, but like, I feel like just in this conversation, we've detailed like five things you're working on, including marriage <laughs> and yourself. And like, it's like people out there just don't understand the incredible amount of time it just takes to do those things and to create those, those things. And if, if they could just spend their time elsewhere you know what I mean like why why no one happy spends their time tearing down someone else and like Mm -hmm. that's it's so sad when people do that because like they don't know how I mean I maybe people do know how devastating it is to get negative reviews but like I don't even read the reviews on my podcast at this point because I just don't have Mm -hmm. the bandwidth to Mm -hmm. manage so I'm just like whatever it is it is I'm just gonna keep speaking my truth producing my content and, and running my race. But like, it's, I've been in the public eye as a community leader since like 2002. So like, it's taken a long time to get to that place where I like, um, and there's always a new level to go where I learn how to not care what people think. But like, mm-hmm. I just, I'm really honest about my bandwidth and I'm like, I don't really have bandwidth to monitor comments and yeah. Stuff like it's a lot. It is a whole ass job. <laughs> yeah, not your, and if it's something that bugs you and it's not your job, then you don't need comments. The people who really want to connect with you can email you. It's not hard to figure out your email address. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and even then, if someone sends you a lengthy email, you're not obligated to read it. Right. Nor yeah. to respond. And the thing is, like, if you come at someone, someone in a way that is like not hostile, genuine, and like, you know, in a way that is not offensive. Maybe I would have responded if he would have came at me in a different way, but I'm like, I don't know you shit, <laughs> you know? And so I think, I think it's, it is a good uh, habit to be in to just ignore comments and, and reviews, you know, if you're in, in creating content in this virtual world, because there's people who just really have nothing going on but to, but to troll. And that's just the reality of it. And you got to just let it roll off your back. And it's hard because it's like, I'm like, this is personal to me. This is, I wouldn't do this if I didn't feel like, you know, number one, it was something that I wanted to do and also like make the time and energy and space for it. Cause it requires a lot of work and hours that people don't see. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like it comes from a personal place and it's like a passion, you know, and, 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 uh, it's hurtful. <laughs> people are, can be really mean and hurtful. Yeah, absolutely. And also like, I have spent so much time in therapy talking about other mm-hmm. people's opinions you know what I mean? And comments and shitty things like that. Like it's amazing how much, how many resources we need to put in in order to create the thing that we know is on our heart to help other people feel good about their lives and mm-hmm. feel, feel recognized and, and validated and reflected. And, um, and, you know, making media like without the resources of like the people who have big news conglomerates funding them or like, you know, even the, 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 fancy podcast people who are like behind a, a paywall, you know, like those people have a whole team of folks that read the comments and do the show notes and edit the podcast, you know, like what a luxury I know, right? <laughs> Oof, to have a podcast editor. I can't wait. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it's hard. And, then, yeah. and also all those blog posts that you said you started and didn't finish. I don't think people realize that it can, it can take me like 16 to 20 hours between like writing coding, use, get editing photographs, like all of that stuff to like put in and linking to people. Like people don't know how much work it takes to do about a blog post. Yep. It's a lot of time. Yeah. So it's and energy and emotional energy because you have to operate from a different space and it's a lot. 
It's a lot. Absolutely. And like, you're still doing so much and I applaud you. I think, you know, you're doing, you're doing incredible. <laughs> thank and the you, shirts thank are great. You. Like, check out Sabine's merch for A Tribe Called Queer. Um, and also Patty Wackrick Vintage, too, of course. So we do have an open house for Project Q um, coming up on March 14th. So we have some vacancies in our co-work space. Um, so let me explain that a little bit more. So at the Project Q Salon and Community Center, uh, in the front portion is where we have the um, the brick and more, the, the uh, Salon and Community Center, which is where we Five days a week, we have a full service, full paying salon for people who want to come get their hair did. Um, and then on second Sundays, which is the second Sunday of every month, is when we do our free community service events for the youth. And then, um, so towards the back of the space, we have a bunch of different studios, one of which is now Patty Wack Vintage. Um, we have Sharp Suiting in there, which is a designer suit company, which is a QTPOC owned business. Uh, we also have um, uh, our co-working space, which is uh, basically an office that is shared amongst other people, all uh, queer people of color. Uh, we also have a massage studio, which we have a massage therapist in there now. Um, their lease ends uh, the end of this month, so they will be leaving and we will have a vacancy for a massage therapist or a mental health therapist or an esthetician. I'm open to either of those things. So that will become available April 1st, um, as well as the five co-work chairs. That's yeah. So that open house is on the 14th from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m., I think. Um, so I'm excited about that and about, um, making more community connections, uh, and sharing our space, uh, with other folks. Since you spend so much time, like with youth, is there anything that you as like a 38 year old woman would give advice to your 18 year old self, like 20 years ago? Like what, is there anything that you would say to that Sabine? Mm-hmm. We'd have a long conversation. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I think like <laughs> oh I got so much to say to her um honestly like I feel like the most imp the, the thing that sticks out to me most to stop seeking validation and love from other people and from the outside world because you are enough you're enough and you have love in you and and you don't have to get it elsewhere that's like the, 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 the thing that sticks out most because I just remember feeling so like othered and just wanting to be loved and accepted from other people um, for a long time, for a very long time. And it got me into really shitty situations. And I wish I could just tell myself, stop it. <laughs> You're good. Go fucking get your dreams, you know? Yeah. yeah, that's great. That I mean, also, I kind of just want that to be advice for everybody because, like, it's true. Yeah. You have all the love you need, and you have dreams that are important on your heart that you've got to go fulfill because there's only one of you mm -hmm. in this whole wide world, mm -hmm. the whole existence. Mm -hmm. Only one to be. Mm -hmm. There's only one you listening out there. <laughs> <laughs> there's only one podcast with construction noise. It's mine. <laughs> true <laughs> you know oh also another thing is that I would really drill into my head uh no one actually knows what the fuck they're doing so just do what you gotta do you know yes that is yes. something I keep learning over and over again because I'm like everyone's kind of lost everyone's kind of like flopping the world trying out their fucking lives and like you know, so stop worrying about the bullshit and just focus on your shit, you know? Yeah. So something that I learned about imposter syndrome is that like, and that was just through, through my own hard knocks is that I'm going to feel like imposter syndrome no matter what I do. So I just got to, I just got to feel it and do it anyway. And then, yes. Yeah. And like, and I think that's true for everyone. Like, it seems like everyone is, especially in Instagram, social media highlight culture, where like, we only see people's accomplishments, we don't really see people's struggles. I try hard to like model 
the all the facets of my life, the highlights and the struggles. Mm-hmm. But like mm-hmm. most, you know, most everyone feels imposter syndrome. Most everyone doesn't feel like they know what they're doing, and that's how shit gets done. And and it doesn't have yeah. to be done. And one step is enough to keep moving. Sabine, how can people find you and connect with you on the internet? Oh my gosh. Okay. So you can follow me on Instagram at a tribe called queer and Patty Whack Vintage and Queer Bazaar and House of Sabine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, you know, on all of my websites, which are pretty much just those words dot com. Uh, and you can also follow Project Q on Instagram and social media as well. Um, yeah, and I'm sure you'll link all those things. Um, so even though there are, you know, a troll every now and then, I still love my followers. I appreciate everybody just hitting that button uh, to see, you know, thanks for caring and like liking stuff. Like, that's nice. I appreciate it. And I love hearing feedback. So you know how Instagram started this new thing where you can like see who reshares your uh, posts? Have you noticed that? I'm on an Android, so it might not be yet available for me. Okay. Well, that I have an iPhone, so I, I, I can see this now. And I think that it's wonderful because it gives the opportunity to like really engage. And like when people share and they just say, thank you, I'm like, you're welcome. Like, I really love doing that. And like having, you know, it may not be a lengthy conversation, but just acknowledging like, Hey, thank you for sharing that. Or like, um, you know, I love that. I love engaging with the positive people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's great. Um, I love you so much, Sabine. Thank you so much for being on my podcast and sharing your wisdom and just also you being in the world. And thank you for like doing your healing work so that you could glow up and be the Sabine that you are and continue to box up. Thank you so much. Thank you for asking me to be on and for also being on my podcast, which yeah. is live. You can check the, the episode out. Yeah, really excited. <laughs> um, it was a great conversation. Yeah, it was. And I appreciate you and I appreciate what you're doing as well. And um, I feel like you're a really wise person and I learn a lot from, uh, you know, when we have conversations and I appreciate what you, what you put out in the world and, and um, yeah. Thank you. Oh, receive that. I love you, Sabine. <laughs> I love you too, Bevin. <laughs>